The reading is from Mark chapter 9, verses 2 to 13, and can be found on page 1012 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back, and page numbers for those are on the screen. So, Mark chapter 9, starting from verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led him up and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there approached before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Roz, thank you very much. It would be an enormous help to keep that open as we come to look at it. But as we do look at it, I'm going to begin with a question, uh, which, is, which is this. Who do you listen to? Who do you listen to? There are lots of voices out there in the world. There are lots of voices uh, amongst our friends, amongst our families, amongst our neighbours, on the television, in the films, uh, on the radio. Loads of voices out there each telling us their opinion, each telling us different stories about what the world's really like, about what we should be doing in the world. Who do you listen to? Uh, It's an important question. Let me illustrate it like this. Here are are a couple of uh, newspapers, Uh, the Guardian and the Daily Telegraph there. Now, uh, some people here will be big fans of one of those newspapers, And maybe some people here will be big fans of the other one of those newspapers. I doubt, actually, anybody is a fan of both of those newspapers. Because they seem to come from very different angles. And if you read one of those newspapers, if you listen to the worldview that that newspaper has, it will shape you. In some ways, it will inform your opinion on things. It will form how you think about issue X or issue Y or issue Z. Uh, And the more it does that, uh, the more it will change you a little bit, the way you think. And um, this sort of experience is exaggerated uh, by social uh, media. Uh, So who who do you listen to? Well, one common answer today is, I listen to those people who agree with me. Uh, And social media does this because it has these really clever algorithms, which means that it only shows you the posts that you like, or post similar to ones you've liked in the past. 
And so all that happens when you go on social media, if you're not careful, is that, that what it does is it pumps back the same sorts of stories, the same sorts of information that you like and that you put out there yourself. It's what they call an echo chamber. There's a little visual representation. that All that's coming back at you is your own opinions more and more. And you're getting more and more entrenched in those opinions. And so actually, if you only listen to people who agree with you, there's an issue, which is that more and more you'll find it difficult to understand those people who don't agree with you. It might even come as a great surprise to you that there's anyone out there who doesn't agree with you. And maybe you'll make a big mistake like call a referendum and then, whoops, didn't realize... I've got this little cartoon there. Uh, Johnny opened the door to the one place he always heard the truth, his own echo chamber. (laughs) Uh, Who do you listen to? Well, if you just listen to the people who agree with you, that potentially is dangerous. Uh, That potentially cuts you off uh, from being challenged, being corrected, because actually all of us have opinions that need challenging and correcting from time to time. So if we only listen to those who agree with us, we might be in trouble. Here are some better reasons uh, to listen to people. I'll listen to those people who tell me hard truths. Tell me the things that are true, but I don't really like to hear. Because if I'm honest, I find it hard sometimes to tell hard truths. Hard to tell someone something I know they're not going to like, but it is true and they possibly need to hear it. Well, if you've got someone like that in your life, keep them close. (laughs) Because they're precious. Or... or, um, Listen to those who have insight, those who can see the way the world turns, uh, those who just have that insight to know seemingly what's going to happen. Do you remember back in the financial crash of 2008? There were one or two people who predicted it ahead of time, and all of a sudden, uh, their word became very important. They were wheeled out on every news show, weren't they? Who who do you listen to? Uh, Those who tell me hard truths, those who have insight, Uh, those who care for me. Rather than just listening to those who agree with you, they're much better people to listen to. But at this point, I I can see maybe you're thinking, Tim, you've got the wrong series here. Uh, We're in a series called Seeing Jesus. Uh, So why on earth are you talking about listening? Well, this is the last passage we're going to look at in this series. We've got a one-off topical uh, uh, thing that will wrap up a lot of what we've seen in the series. But this is the last passage in this series. And it's because it marks a hinge point in Mark's gospel. Because as soon as you get to the end of this passage, there's nothing more to see. There's nothing more to see. Uh, We've been seeing all sorts of bits of Jesus' glory, of his power. He's fed crowds out of a few scraps of food. He's healed the sick. He's opened the eyes of the blind. He's done all this amazing stuff. He's walked on the water, and the disciples are like, whoa, who can do this sort of stuff? They're scared at times of Jesus and his power. And by the time we get to the mountain of transfiguration, it's as clear as it could ever be who this man is. That was the question way back in chapter 4. Who is this man? Well, it could not be clearer by the time you get to this point in chapter 9. If you're still confused at this point, there's no other thing you could see that would convince you of his glory and his power and his greatness. There's nothing more to see. And indeed, 
Mark himself seems to want to point out this is an important moment. There are a few details in the text. I wonder if you spotted them. So first of all, verse 2, after six days. That's really unusual in Mark. In Mark's gospel, what you get is immediately this happened. Immediately that happened. Immediately, it's very rare that there's a pause. It's very rare that there's a marker that says after six days or something like that. doesn't happen often in Mark. And I think it's there to draw attention to this passage. Mark wants us to see this is important. Now, why six days? There are a couple of options. Um, uh, Maybe he's letting the hard truths of chapter 8 have a bit of time to sink in. Uh, Jesus has just told the disciples some hard stuff about needing to take up their cross and follow him. Well, maybe these six days are to let some of those hard truths sink in. But there's another option. See, back in the Old Testament, in Exodus 24, something very similar to this happened, where Moses and Joshua go up onto a mountain and meet God and see the splendor of glory and a cloud come down. But before they meet God, they have to wait six days. There's a preparation period. And maybe Jesus is deliberately echoing that Old Testament story because these guys are about to see something magnificent, about to see the glory of God be revealed. Either way, uh, Mark wants us to know this is an important moment. It's an important moment because Jesus just takes Peter, James, and John with him in verse 2. Not the whole 12, just the sort of inner circle, if you like. And then something amazing happens. If Mark's queuing up something amazing is about to happen, it does, doesn't it? Then he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Now, Mark's telling us there that this is an amazing power that comes upon Jesus from outside somewhere. He was transfigured. Someone has done this to Jesus. And this person, this force, whatever it is, is not an earthly force because no one in the world can get clothes this white. Forget the propaganda of the Daz washing, shampoo, uh, washing powder adverts. No, no one can get clothes this white on earth anyway. This is an amazing moment of, of glory breaking in. Glory that is not earthly. And then, even more amazing, imagine being there. Imagine being one of the disciples. Verse 4, there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus, two of the greatest figures in the Old Testament. Two figures who had spent a lot of their lives going up mountains to meet with God. Uh, Two figures who'd uh, uh, experienced a lot of opposition in their ministry, uh, and the thing that vindicated them was people said, well, they've talked with God. They've met God. That's how you know. They're they're the genuine, real article. When, When the The powers that be came and said, well, why are you listening to them? They've spoken to God face to face. They know what he's like. Given the road Jesus is going to walk and be opposed by the establishment, it's very important for the disciples to know that just like Elijah, just like Moses, uh, this is somebody who knows the glory of God. And yet, it's a bit different. Now, I like Peter. I can relate. 
Because here's Peter, and I think he says probably something a bit like what I would say. Um, I don't think he knows what to say. In fact, that's, that's exactly what verse 6 says. And imagine you'd been there and seen this amazing thing happen as the, the windows of heaven open and the, the glory shines through. And all of a sudden, these two people who were, apparently were long since dead or had been taken away by God just appeared in thin air. Like, you might be pretty scared. And Peter was. And I love verse 5 because it's almost like he's just, he's just speaking to fill the silence. Have you ever seen one of those films where um, someone, two people are talking, it's like a murder mystery or something, and in the middle of the conversation, one of the people realizes that the person they're talking to is the person who did it. Have you seen that? And then they sort of back away toward the door and start speaking really quickly. Well, anyway, I've got to, I've got to go now. I get, a, I get an experience, a flavor of that in Peter. He's so scared. He's just got to keep on talking. He, he can't be quiet and still before this amazing experience. And then the crowning moment, the sort of center of the passage, if you like. All this amazing stuff's happened. And what's the explanation? What's going on here? Verse 7, a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. Again, very rare in Mark. Only twice do we hear a, a voice from heaven, once in chapter 1 and once here, and says almost the same thing. This is my son, whom I love. This is my son, whom I love. They've been asking the question, who is this guy? Peter's like, he's the Messiah, but doesn't quite get it in chapter 8. People are terrified of him. Uh, He can feed crowds. He can heal the sick. Who is he? A voice comes from heaven. The voice of God. The one who's shown Jesus' glory to the disciples. And he said, this is who he is. He is my son whom I love. The son of God in the flesh. That's who stands before you. And at that point, there's nothing more to see in terms of understanding Jesus' identity. You've heard it straight from God's mouth. There can be no more room for debate. There's nothing more to see. Jesus is the Son of God. It's like one of those uh, great detectives, you know, they they look around the room and they suddenly see the thing uh, that they're they're after. The piece of evidence, it it finally clicks and they give a wry smile. I've seen everything I need to and they walk out the room. Well, by this stage, Mark's saying, you should have seen everything you need to. Surely that's got to be the final, ultimate piece of evidence. And yet you'll notice we're only halfway through Mark. So there might not be anything more to see, but that's not the end of the story because we have a second point. But will you listen? This is my son whom I love. Okay, we finally cracked it. We see who this great man Jesus is. Listen to him. That's the command. It's the only command in the passage. Uh, If we see who Jesus is, what's the response? We listen to him. We obey him. Which is so helpful. Because you see, Christianity is not just a system of intellectual belief, of truths to believe. It is that, 
Th- those things are important. That's why we spend time digging into the Bible to work out what it says, because it matters what we believe. But it, it's not just that. It's not enough to be clear and see who Jesus is. The point of seeing who he is is that you might listen to him. That you might let him be the one who influences you, who shapes your mind, who shapes the way you're going to walk in this world. Who we listen to is important. And, and God says the one person above all you need to listen to is my son, Jesus. And verse 8 emphasizes the point. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. For they don't need anyone else anymore. They have the full and final revelation of God and his plans for the world, what he wants for his people. They have the Son of God right there in the flesh. Listen to him. And then, as he's done before, Jesus gives perhaps a slightly surprising command. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they'd seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Because Jesus knows at this point, their understanding, though they've seen all this glory, this wonder, they've still not quite got it yet. He knows Uh, They've not quite grasped the kind of Messiah he's come to be. Uh, They understand his glory, perhaps, but they've still not understood that he comes to walk a road of suffering. Uh, For a first century Jew, the idea of a suffering Messiah is a bit like the idea of a square circle. It just does not seem to fit. I googled um, square circle And this came up, which is, of course, just a square and a circle, isn't it? It doesn't really help you. It's not a square circle at all. Although I did like this picture, uh, which was quite clever, I thought, um, which is a a sort of cylinder thing, and depending on which way you shine the light, it either comes out as a square or a circle. That was quite clever for a square circle. Um, And it's quite a helpful thing, actually, because they need their perspective shifted. They need to understand that their expectations of a Messiah are not actually what God intends his Messiah to do. We're going to get on to that in a minute. Jesus is going to confront them with the truth that it is written, the Son of Man must be rejected. If you'd looked carefully at what God's plans were, disciples, you would have known that was part of the story. But they're not yet ready for that. They don't yet understand that. And therefore Jesus says, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Jesus is the glorious one. The one and only Son, beloved of the Father. The one we should listen to. And I think the rest of the passage, and some of the material around this passage, actually is really helpful for us. Uh, Because it shows us several ways that people avoid listening uh, to Jesus. Here's the first one. I'm not going to listen to you, Jesus, because I know better. And this is Peter back in chapter 8. Do you remember? Jesus says, uh, he finally gets it, you are the Christ, the Son of God. Uh, And Jesus says, "Uh, yes, and I'm going to have to suffer. And Jesus takes him aside and says, no. Uh, Peter takes Jesus aside and says, no. 
You're not going to suffer. That's not what the Messiah has come to do. Listen, sit down, Jesus. I know better. Let me explain to you what your job is really going to be. Now, it might not be on that particular issue, but there are other issues in your life, in your heart, where deep down you know what Jesus says, you know what God's word says, but, but you say, actually, I think I know better than you. I think I understand better than you how this should work. Jesus. I think we can be guilty of that even today, can't we? Maybe particularly today, as 2,000 years have come and gone, well, Jesus, man of his time, wasn't he? No. He's the glorious son of God. You can't get away with saying, well, actually, Jesus, I know better than you. Not if you've seen who he is. Another way to avoid uh, listening, because it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, So Jesus says, don't tell anyone about this until the Son of Man's risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, verse 10, discussing what rising from the dead meant. I would have thought it was fairly clear, but, you know, apparently not. Um, But, of course, that's that's what they're so stuck in one particular view of what the Messiah's come to do and come to be that they can't get their head around it. It doesn't make sense to them. Are there issues in in your uh, Christian discipleship where this is an issue for you? You just can't understand why God would command this or that thing. You can't understand why Jesus would say this. Any number of issues to do with sex or money or career or whatever it might be. And you're just not quite sure why he said it. And there's a way, isn't there, of saying, well, I just don't really understand that, which is basically really in your heart of hearts saying, I'm just going to put that to one side. I'm not going to worry about that anymore. I'm just going to get on with my life and pretend Jesus never said it because it's just too hard to understand for me. That's another way to avoid listening. And the third way, but what about the sidetrack? And you see that in verse 11, they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say Elijah must come first? It was a debate in the Old Testament scriptures about certain prophecies about Elijah returning to prepare the way for the Messiah. Why do they say that? And Jesus replied, I I love Jesus' reply in verse 12. Jesus replies, to be sure Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? I tell you, Elijah has come, and they've done to him everything they wished, just as it's written about him. The Elijah there is John the Baptist. He's the one who prepares the way for the Messiah. Back in Mark 1, Mark's already made the connection. And John's ministry was to get people ready, those who would listen for the ministry of Jesus. I love this because Jesus has an answer for them. And he gives them the answer. But he's not going to let them take off on a sidetrack that's going to get away from the main point. Even in his answer, did you notice, the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected. Do not use this debate about Elijah that's going on at the minute to take your eyes off the fact I'm going to the cross. There are any number of potential sidetracks that we can take. Maybe it's your view of creation your view of the law, your view of uh, God's purposes for the Jewish nation and whether those things continue into the New Testament. There are all sorts of potential hot topics where Christians disagree. 
And it's okay to have genuine questions. And I trust that this passage gives us hope that Jesus has answers. And yet he's not going to let us take those sidetracks and take our eyes off the cross. He doesn't want us to do that. That's just another way of avoiding listening to him. He, he wants to put the cross at the front and center of our discipleship. And, and next week as we look at discipleship, it's a cross-shaped discipleship. It's a discipleship of oh, self-denial and following Jesus who walked the road of the cross. Now, I know people sometimes have very genuine questions, so take heart, Jesus has answers. But don't let your questions distract from listening to the gospel of Jesus, his cross, his resurrection. Now, what Jesus says is not always easy. He tells us some hard things. But he's the glorious son of God. He tells us the truth. He will tell us the truth. And did you notice in this passage, it's Jesus who has insight. He's the one who understands where the world's going. He's the one who understands what God's plan's all about. While the disciples are confused and bewildered, Jesus says, no, this is, this is what it says. This is where we must be going. I get it. And Jesus loves us. See, the reason why he won't be distracted from walking the road of the cross is because he knows it's the only way for people like me and people like you to be forgiven for our sins. It's the only way we can be brought back into a right relationship with our Heavenly Father, the one we were made to know and love forever. And Jesus knows that will demand the cross. So why should we listen to Jesus? Because he tells us the truth. Because he understands God's plan. Because he loves us and cares for us enough to die for us. But actually, before and beyond all of that, because God says, this is my son, whom I love. Because of who he is. Because we've seen the wonder and the glory of Jesus. The only right, the only sane response is to listen to him. And so the pressing question for each and every one of us is, will we? This week, this month, this year, for the rest of our lives, will we listen to Jesus and walk the road of the cross? Let me pray. Father, sometimes the things in your word, sometimes the things your son tells us are difficult, are unsettling. Let's, let's not um, hide away from that. And yet he is your son, perfect in goodness, glory and grace, loving us from all eternity. Help us to cut through the background noise. Help us to... Avoid the other voices who would turn us away from Jesus. Give us humble hearts and open ears to listen to him. As we've been working through Mark, uh, Lord, I pray you'll have been working in all of us, changing our hearts, opening our eyes further and further to behold more and more of the glory of Jesus. And as we see who he is, help us to listen to what he says. Help us to look at his glory so we can listen to his gospel. 
And thank you that what he's come to tell us is the greatest news in all the world. May we live humbly, obediently in response to that. Lives that want to honor and glorify him. And we pray it in his precious name. Amen.